If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open to the book of James. We're in the latter portion of chapter 3 today. James 3, 13 through 18. James 3, 13 through 18, you follow along with me as I read. Uh, This is from the New American Standard, so it might sound a little bit different from yours. That's okay if you have a different version. But James 3, 13 through 18 says this, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, and good fruits, unwavering, or that might be better read as impartial. Impartial without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of the Lord. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we ask that you would not only give us your wisdom, but allow your wisdom to be cultivated in our hearts and minds so that it would bear fruit in the way that we live with one another. In a world of fools, would you help us to be a good example of the wisdom that is ours in the person of Jesus Christ by your spirit? We pray this in your name. Amen. So, how do you define wisdom? Or how do you know when someone is wise? Right? Maybe in your mind right now, you can think of someone that you you would say, if I had to think of someone or nominate someone as a wise man or a wise woman, it would be this person. Why would you nominate that person? Or why would you consider that person to be wise? How How do you discern... Who is wise and understanding, as James says here in this opening question? Do you give an IQ test? Is the wisest person in the room the smartest person in the room? All right, somebody said no. It sounded like a young voice. Was that a young voice that said no? Okay, it was. All right, whoever that young voice was, you're exactly right. The smartest person in the room is not necessarily the wisest person in the room. Makes me nervous that the little kid has already picked up on that. <laughs> you take a personality test, right? Is wisdom something that relates to personal characteristics or temperament? Right? Is wisdom the person, is wisdom characterized by the ability to be able to answer all manner of riddles and mind-bending questions? Is that what wisdom is? Not according to James. 
Isn't it interesting that right off the bat, James says, if you want to find the wise people in your congregation, the people that you ought to look for are the gentle people. Gentle people are wise people, according to James. Now, let me characterize this a little bit further by way of context so that we get essentially what James is saying. I don't think that what James is doing here is limiting the attributes or characteristics of wisdom to only a display of gentleness. But there is a very particular context or frame of mind that James has when he's writing this section, and I think what it has to do with is this. There are two sides to wisdom, at least two sides, right? There is the side of wisdom that we see most often, say, in the Psalms and in the Proverbs, where the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom in that context, and much of what Proverbs goes on to say, is that wisdom has a lot to do with knowing and being able to discern how to walk in a way that pleases the Lord on a daily basis. Oftentimes, the, the, the choices that we have to make are not necessarily so clear-cut. We can't go to a chapter and verse and say, oh, I need to take this job or that job. I married this person or that person. We have ten kids or we have six kids or we have three kids, right? There, no chapter and verse for that stuff. So wisdom is taking what God has given us in his word, pulling the, those things together and rightly understanding the direction that God has charted our lives on and moving accordingly. So wisdom in many respects is about the way that we walk under the authority that God has over our lives so that we please him. The other side to wisdom, though, is the wisdom that is exhibited in the way that we interact with one another. So, for example, in the, uh, in the reading before the pastoral prayer this morning, JT was reading from, from Paul, who was talking about the reconciliation that we have with God. But, of course, one of the glorious truths of Scripture is, is that when God reconciles us to himself, he also then reconciles us to one another. So that if one of the major components of wisdom is knowing how to live this new life in a way that pleases the Lord, certainly the other side of wisdom, the other side to the same coin, is knowing now how to live this new life in relationship with one another. And I think that's exactly what James is after here. It's not that he's diminishing other aspects of wisdom, but James is thinking primarily about the way that wisdom works in a congregation. What does wisdom look like when God's people are gathered together into a family? The reason I think that it's fairly clear that James is thinking of the way that wisdom works in relationship with one another is because of the way that he both begins and ends this paragraph. Of course, we could say that there are things in the middle, too, which we'll see in a minute. But let me, just for the sake of time, let me just point you to the first line and the closing line. Notice in 4.13... I'm sorry, not 4.13, we're in 3.13. Sorry, 3.13. Did I say 4.13 earlier? Okay, once again, right? Smartest person in the room, dumbest person in the room, whatever. God gives wisdom to all of us. Lord help us. 3.13, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show his good behavior, uh, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. And then down at the end, in verse 18, 
righteousness bears fruit by those who sow the seed in peace, those who make peace. So just, just start with those two things. Showing it in the gentleness of wisdom and those who make peace. Gentleness and peace are things that are not individual characteristics. In other words, you need another person in order to be gentle, or you need another person, at least one, in which to demonstrate peace. Right? There's a, there's a, a fellowship connotation here. There's a social connection with the idea of being gentle. I can't be gentle with myself. Right? I can't make peace with myself. I, I do that with other people. So when God's people gather together and when God's people are trying to say, what is the wise path for us to take as we walk the path of faith together? James would say the way that you know that you're on the right path is if there is a settled disposition of gentleness and peace in the congregation. So we want to say three things. Number one, that wisdom in a church will be seen by its work. Number two, James then goes on to say in verses 14 through 16, what wisdom is not, or what wisdom does not do, followed by number three in verses 17 and 18, where James tells us what wisdom is, or what wisdom does in fact do. So wisdom will be seen and recognized by its work. And then clarification. What wisdom is not and what wisdom is. So number one, wisdom will be seen by its work. 3.13, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show or demonstrate by his good behavior his, New American Standard says deeds. Some of your versions may say show by his works in the gentleness of behavior. This is eerily similar to the same sort of attitude or teaching that James gave in chapter 2 when he talked about faith and works. Right? Remember there, true, genuine faith is not a matter of faith or works, but faith and works. If faith is not producing some sort of lifestyle, if it's not working its way out in your daily life, then you don't have true, genuine faith. Similarly, similarly here, if you claim to have wisdom as one of God's people, but your wisdom is something that you talk about, but you never demonstrate, the odds are pretty good that you, in fact, are not a wise person. Anyone can say that they're wise. James would have us show that we're wise. And there's a big difference. So if you're going to show that you're wise, if, if being wise means that it translates into daily life, and in this context, it has an impact or an effect on the way that we relate with one another, how is that wisdom going to manifest itself? How will I know when I'm seeing someone who is wise relating to other members in this congregation? And in 3.13, just as a sort of a catch-all heading to get the ball rolling, we're told that wisdom within the fellowship of God's people is distinguished or is marked out by a spirit of gentleness. 
Is that the way that you typically think of wisdom? Do you think of a wise person as being a gentle person? And of all the things that, that could be said here, why would gentleness be the attribute or the characteristic that James would highlight or single out? Ultimately, I, d I don't know the answer to that question, but let me at least posit one thought. I think what we're going to see by the time you get to the end of this passage is that the kind of wisdom that James is talking about is a wisdom that does not come naturally to us. By nature, we are not predisposed to being gentle with one another. Not true, genuine gentleness. The gentleness that we need is something that comes from outside of us. We need, in other words, a wisdom that we don't have. Isn't it interesting as you look in the scriptures, when Jesus makes a call in Matthew chapter 11, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened down, and I will give you rest, he says. He goes on. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. The king says, I have a gentle heart to anyone who comes to me. And as you continue to go through the New Testament, you see in one of the classic passages in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is several things that Paul mentions. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. One of the things that he mentions is gentleness. So that gentleness is a mark of Christ in his attributes, his nature, his disposition towards us and is one of the distinguishing characteristics of those who have entered into that new life by the power of the Spirit. If you are not exhibiting gentleness in your relationship with your brothers and sisters, you are not living out the life of Christ according to the power of the Spirit that has been given to you. So wisdom is something that you ought to be able to see and not just be able to see because I know that this person talks a good game and I see him getting up on his soapbox every Sunday to speak, to pronounce from on high, but it is something that ought to be seen in the way that we interact with one another. So James is going to go further and he's going to clarify what wisdom is not when he talks about this gentle wisdom that can be seen or this gentleness of wisdom and then later what wisdom is so this is in verses 14 through 16 but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart do not be arrogant and lie against the truth This typically gets a little bit closer to the way that we think of wisdom, or at least maybe not the way that we think of wisdom, the way that we try to use wisdom. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. Right? Wisdom so often in our natural way of thinking or in 
present-day society, it's nothing new, this is the way that human nature has always been, knowledge and wisdom and understanding is something that you want to gain and you want to amass because you want to make yourself successful. Right? Wisdom is for the sake of being able to get what someone else has. You see that they have something, a possession, a position. I want that. And wisdom is what you use to try to weasel your way into getting what they have because you're so jealous and so eager to get it. Or wisdom is the way that you promote yourself. Selfish ambition. You want to be recognized as being wise. Or you want to use your shrewdness or your craftiness, your ability to manipulate people to work your way up the ladder. That doesn't just happen in Fortune 500 companies. That happens in churches all the time. If the wisdom that you possess, if the wisdom that you exercise or work out is first and foremost for your benefit, you need to consider whether or not you truly have God's wisdom. If, though, the opposite of this is not a bitter jealousy or selfish ambition, but is, a, but is a desire not to exalt or promote yourself, but to see the good and the benefit coming to the rest of God's people, then you will truly begin to live along the path of wisdom. You'll be interested in their good and their benefit, not merely your own. You won't be looking after your own interests. Parents, if your wisdom is used in such a way as to just simply make your life easier or more comfortable with all of the challenges and the trials that come with raising children, that's not true wisdom. That is a false wisdom that seeks your benefit at the expense of your children. Husband, wife, if your concept of wisdom is how to get your spouse to behave better so that you can be happier, so that you can be more comfortable, so that they do what you want instead of what they want, that's not wisdom. That's manipulation. Christian, if you come and if you're more concerned with winning people over to a particular view of this passage or that passage, especially when it's a gray area or when it's debatable, if you're more interested in making the church more like you, that's not wisdom. Call it something else, but it's not wisdom that you're exercising.
James goes on, and he's even more blunt when he says that this wisdom, verse 15, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but he gives three characteristics. It's earthly, it's natural, and it's demonic. The kind of wisdom that seeks to promote or advance yourself over the better interests of one another is a wisdom that does not come from the heavenly places, does not come from God. It is earthbound. It is not a spiritual kind of wisdom. It is, as he says here, a natural kind of wisdom. It's what you yourself generate according to your own mind and heart. Ultimately, that kind of wisdom is demonic. Does that seem too harsh? To call that kind of self-seeking wisdom or pursuit demonic? Or, if you give it a minute's thought and reflection, do you begin to see that that sort of pattern and behavior is itself typified most clearly in the rebellion of Satan himself? Who wanted to exalt and promote himself above any other created thing, including the uncreated one, God himself. Satan has wisdom. It does him absolutely no good. People be very careful, be very careful about buying things that are sold to you as wisdom. So much of what is offered today in the form of self-help, in the form of self-improvement, in the form of wisdom and counsel and advice, is nothing less than self-worship and demonic wisdom. It promotes you and your interests and your concerns. It tells you that the wise path is to pay more attention to yourself. That's not godly wisdom. Wisdom is not thinking of yourself, it's thinking of others. And not just thinking of others, it is the ability to think of others and then to be able to put into action whatever kind of behavior or response is going to be good and beneficial for them. This wisdom that is earthly, natural, and demonic, we're told in verse 16, once again, characterized by jealousy and selfish ambition, where these things are, there is disorder and every evil thing. When people enter into the church, when they present themselves or want to be seen as being wise, but their wisdom is little more than a cover for their own selfishness or their self-interestedness, the end result or the fruit of that kind of wisdom working its way through a church, through a congregation, is disorder and every kind of evil. 
The disorder that James is talking about in verse 16 is what we would say is just sort of a lack of unity, right? There, there's no orderliness, there's no togetherness. It's the idea of a, a disorder that goes along with sort of being um, uh, constantly in arguments or disputes or discussions with one another, right? No one ever can just simply rest with each other. There's always an agenda at play, and your agenda is being pitted against her agenda, and her agenda against his agenda. And rather than the church, rather than wisdom being what God uses to glue us together, earthly, natural, demonic wisdom is what we operate by, seeking our own interests that end up pulling the church apart. Smart people will kill a church. You recognize that, right? Smart people who always seem to know the best answer, the best approach, the best speed to move at, the best songs to sing, the best sermons to preach, the best way to organize this ministry and that ministry, right? Smart people, you get too many of those people in the same room, those people are going to kill the lifeblood of a church. But if you put a bunch of wise people together in a church family whose primary concern is not about making their agenda or their preference the most important thing, but rather what is going to be best for the long-term good of this family, what is going to help us thrive, not merely me thrive, you put those people together, that church has a healthy future ahead of it. So that one of the marks of a church that is wise, infused with wisdom, is to look at the way that they interact with one another. Do you laugh with your brothers and sisters? Right, by the way, this is rhetorical. I know that you do. This is, this is not finger wagging. I see it and I hear it all over the place in Edra. I'm so thankful for it. Right, but, but if you're someone who doesn't laugh with their brother or sister, you ought to laugh a little bit more. Right? You ought to enjoy your Christian brother or sister rather than always being defensive and on guard with them. Or rather than always trying to find out how you can use them to serve your purposes. When you gather together with your other brothers and sisters, what do you talk about? How much of your conversation takes the form of complaining about things that you don't like versus how much of your conversation with one another is given over to asking, how has the Lord been working in your life and finding joy and delight to hear that God's grace is being made effective in that brother? A wise church will find that because of the wisdom that God has given to its members, they will find that they are growing closer together even as they come to see more clearly just how different they are. That's the miracle of it all. 
the closer you get to people, the more you come to find out how different they are, and yet wisdom has a way of being able to keep all of these crazy, mixed-up people living together in joy without killing one another. Where there is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, where there is fake demonic wisdom at play, there will be disorder. James says also that there will be the practice of every evil thing. Listen, let me say this very, very clearly. This should dispel any notion that what it means to be gentle in a spirit of wisdom means that we take a very kind kid glove approach to sin. Gentleness and wisdom does not mean that we make peace with sin. Do you understand that? In fact, what wisdom does, wisdom gives us the ability to see that the path that this brother or sister is on right now, if it's not corrected, if we don't warn them, if we don't encourage them to get back and to recalibrate their spiritual senses, that path that they're on is going to end up destroying them. Wisdom enters into relationship with that person to warn them about the sin that they're dabbling in. You say, but that's uncomfortable. Yeah, you're right. It is uncomfortable. But wisdom does not put the focus on your comfort. Wisdom puts the focus on the health and the flourishing and the thriving of your brothers and sisters so that when you see someone dabbling in sin, when you see someone buying into false philosophies and so-called godliness that is a mere thin cover for sin and immorality and the philosophy of this world and this age, the wisest, most gentle thing that you can do, the kindest thing that you could do is go and show them their error. If you are here this morning, and if you are entertaining or harboring sin, please hear me very clearly on this. From the very beginning that sin entered into this world, one of the primary characteristics of sin is that it always alienates and separates. It separates God from man, and it separates man from one another. If you are harboring sin, if you are unwilling to repent of your sin, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, please do not do yourself more harm by buying into the notion that it's Christians who are casting you aside because of your sin. Christians wisely loving one another being gentle with one another in the face of all of our weaknesses and imperfections, in the midst of all of our sins and our constant stumbling, Christians want to be, we aspire to be, the most wisely gentle people in the world. But we cannot, in the name of wisdom and in the name of gentleness, make peace with what will kill and destroy souls. We cannot... In the name of wisdom, in the name of gentleness, in the name of peace, we cannot call what is sin righteousness.
we cannot say that what God has declared is foolish is wise. And we cannot say that what God has shown to be destructive is in any way good. But a people who have a false kind of wisdom will capitulate at any cost just to keep things comfortable, just to maintain some measure of self-respect in the eyes of society or culture around us. That is not true wisdom. Here is what true wisdom is. Number three. In verses 17 and 18, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. We don't have time to go through all of these. Let me just single out a couple. Verse 17, the wisdom from above, that is God's wisdom, true wisdom, is first, that is, at the top of the list, if you want to know what true wisdom is, wisdom is pure. That means real wisdom has no taint of sin, no hint of compromise, no whiff of selfishness or pride. It is pure. Any of you have that kind of wisdom, pure wisdom? Do any of you, can any of us here say with a straight face that I make it a practice to live in such a way that all of the things that I say and all the things that I do are never done with any mixed motivations or impure motives. Anyone? No? Good. So the question becomes then, if this is the kind of wisdom that we ought to see operating in Edgewood Baptist Church, but the wisdom that we're to see operating is pure and a kind of purity that we don't have, where are we going to get that wisdom? Where are you going to get it, Edgewood? You're going to have to get it from Christ. You have to get a wisdom that does not come from you. You need a wisdom outside of yourself. You need a wisdom that comes from Christ and is given to you by the power of His Spirit who dwells within you. You need a divine wisdom that you and I just simply do not have. But here's the good news. James has already told us all the way back in the first chapter that if any of you lack wisdom, just ask. Just ask. To those who ask for a wisdom that they don't have, God himself has promised, I will give to you fully, I will give to you without any hesitation or regret, and I will do so in no way looking down or condemning you because of what you lack. I love to give and to provide for where you are empty. If you are in Christ Jesus, if you have his spirit dwelling within you, you have already the life that you need to give you this kind of wisdom. 
This kind of wisdom is pure. It is then peaceable, gentle. New American Standard says reasonable. I think that has the idea of being persuadable. Right? In other words, someone who, who has God's wisdom, someone who is humble and a peacemaking kind of person is not someone who adopts the attitude, it's my way or the highway. Right? You may think, right again, because you're so wise, you may think that you've got this situation figured out. But then as you begin to talk with your brother or your sister or with your pastors or deacons or something like that, you begin to see another side to the issue or something that you didn't consider. A mark of wisdom is being able to recognize when you need to be able to give ground or even change your mind. That doesn't make you a fool. That makes you wise. It's full of mercy and good fruits. When you see a brother or sister in need, when you see them struggling, particularly in an area where perhaps that is not your struggle, you can't identify with that struggle, Does God's Spirit working in you begin to work or produce the kind of wisdom that says, let me set my mind and heart to think how I can encourage that brother or sister? How can I be merciful and compassionate to them rather than talking down to them or making it sound like or feel like they're a subpar Christian? Are you wise to the point of being merciful with your brothers and sisters who also struggle just like you do, albeit in different ways? True wisdom is unwavering, or more to the point, probably better translated, impartial. The kind of gentleness or the kind of peaceful attitude the kind of encouragement that you bring to one person, is that the way that you interact with, with a person on the other side of the congregation? Or are you just wisely gentle and peaceful with the people that you're most comfortable with? Right? Are you willing to give these people the benefit of the doubt, but not these people? If so, that's not the exercise of wisdom. Wisdom is impartial, so that the way that you would encourage this brother or sister in their struggles ought to be the way that you would encourage this brother or sister in their struggles. You don't play favorites. You want every single person that you have an opportunity to invest in to grow into Christ-like maturity. And that means that everyone needs Christ, and that's what I want to bring to them. It is without hypocrisy. That is, it's genuine or sincere. When you do go to encourage or to support or to help someone in their time of need, when, when God gives you the wisdom to be able to know how to minister to this brother or sister or how to bridge the gap between differences, why do you do it? What's your motivation is it because you want to feel good or you want to look good? Or is it because you want them to be good? You want them to be helpful. 
You want them to be thriving and flourishing in their walk with the Lord. How about this? When you go and when you offer a share of God's wisdom to another brother or sister, do you listen to your own advice? Or do you make it your business to tell everyone else how to fix their problems? Meanwhile, you're harboring the same problems and the same sins that you're trying to set them free from, blind leading the blind. Is your wisdom without hypocrisy? And at the end of it all, we're told this in 318. That the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. All the way back in chapter 1, James says that we're to be slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen, right? For the anger or the wrath of man does not work or produce what? The righteousness of God. Your anger, your disappointment, your talking down to your family is not ultimately what's going to cultivate righteousness in their life. What will, according to James 3.18? A peaceful, gentle spirit that comes alongside of a struggling brother or sister to encourage them, to nurture them, to invest in them. That is how God cultivates righteousness within a church family and within a congregation. God doesn't need, and we do not find our greatest source of help from a bunch of know-it-alls. We find our greatest encouragement and our greatest help when someone takes on the mind and the heart of Christ to come alongside and to gently encourage and lead one another forward in the path of faith and obedience. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, as we turn our attention now to the table, we pray that you would keep us mindful of just how humble and gentle and patient you have been with us through the work of your Son, who took on human flesh to redeem us from our sins, who did not treat us as we deserved. And as we reflect on that tremendous gift of salvation, would you help us likewise to extend that same grace and forgiveness and mercy to one another in a spirit of gentleness and sincerity? Cultivate that kind of body life here at Edgewood, Father, for your glory, for evidence of the fact that we have been saved and are being made like Christ and that we are living according to the power of your spirit. Amen.